if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them. If you don't have your Bible, we did put them back in the pews this week. So uh, grab a copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be reading uh, verses 12 through 26 in just a little bit. Um, But before we do that, before we get into the text, I do want to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that it can pierce to those divisions of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, that it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Lord, I pray that as your word is proclaimed this morning, that it would expose our hearts, discern our thoughts and intentions and bring them in line with your will for us. Lord, we need the help of your Holy Spirit to aid us in this process, to bring life through your words. So Father, we we pray that you would open our eyes and you would open our ears and our hearts to behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have embarked on a series uh, where we are teaching through uh, the church. Um, Last week I mentioned how that is sometimes a neglected topic within uh, the church. We gather as a church, we do a lot of things together as a church, but how much time do we spend talking about what the Bible says about what we are to do together and how we are together? And so last week we talked about why the church matters. Why does the church matter? And uh, approach that from the angle of that when we gather, every time we gather, we are putting on display the manifold wisdom of God. God's wisdom in all of its many colors. Every time we gather, that's happening because it's showing that God brings a people together from every walk of life and brings us together as one under the banner of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing like that anywhere in the universe. So every time we gather, we're actually sending a message to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We're sending a message to Satan. We're pushing back his influence in this world to say, our God is infinitely wise and we're showing off his wisdom. Well, today we're going to follow on that and we're going to answer another question this morning. What makes a church healthy? you ever thought about that? What makes a healthy church? What should we be striving for together as a church according to God's word? And I want to put two questions in your mind this morning before we uh, get into what we're going to be talking about. Just two questions to kind of examine where you're at with regard to your relationship to the body of Christ. When you come to gather with this church, when you are a part of this church, do you think of it more like another private devotion between you and God that just happens to be alongside other people? Is it just another quiet time, another devotion, but you happen to be sitting next to other people? Or do you instead think of yourself as a vital part of a body that cannot grow without the other parts working together. The other parts which make up this church. So, 
back to the question, what makes a church healthy? Does anyone know here what was the golden age of the church? What would you say was the golden age of the church? When the church was working purely and so uh, perfectly according to God's will for it. Now, some of you might go back to like times even in this country where uh, the, the Great Awakenings, if any of you know things about that, where there was great revival and, and people seemed to be coming into the churches in droves and people were going out of the churches and sharing the gospel. But I think many of us would probably go all the way back to the beginning. We talked about Acts chapter 2 last week. And we might think of the Golden Age as the earliest church, when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the church. And we saw them, they were together in fellowship, they were together in love, they were breaking bread together, they were praying together, they had all things in common, it says. It doesn't seem to get much better than that. But what if I told you, within this early church, as recent as just 25 years after that church in Acts, what if I told you that the church had gotten really, really messy? Like so messy that you would be embarrassed to think about a church exhibiting these types of things today. And that's really what we have going on here in the book of first, the letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. So Paul had, on a missionary journey, he had ventured into Macedonia. The Spirit had led him there into Greece. And he happened to find himself in Corinth, and he preached the gospel there, and he was rejected by many, but he stuck around for about a year and a half, and he planted a church, and people came to Christ. And so a baby church was formed right there in Corinth, in the, in the midst of a very pagan uh, culture, idolatry and, and ritual sacrifices and all kinds of immoral practices. These people made a clean break from all that and became part of the body of Christ. And if we were to do like a little backtrack, a survey of 1 Corinthians, we could go back to chapter 5, where Paul is telling the church, he's writing to the church to address a number of problems that are wrong with them. But the first one being a man who is having inappropriate relations with one of his own family members. It was so bad that Paul says, you need to remove this brother from your midst because he's like a cancer that's spreading throughout the whole church, corrupting it. In chapter 6, Paul has to address the issue of believers suing one another within the church. So taking internal problems within the church and having to take them outside to the courts just to settle their disputes. Then we have chapters 6 as well and 7, where Paul spends a considerable amount of time addressing issues of sexual immorality to include why prostitution is even against God's design in the first place. Can you imagine having to explain that to somebody? This is actually against God's will. Then we come to chapter 10, where he's pleading with these people to flee from their former idol worship and to participate in pagan practices. So he says, flee from idolatry. He says, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So he's having to tell them to stop worshiping idols. And then chapter 11. Just when you think things may be taking a turn to the positive, 
He's about to address how they are to celebrate the Lord's Supper when they come together. But here's what he says. He says, when you come together as a church, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Last week, we were talking about the manifold wisdom of God being on display when we gather. He's saying, when you come together, it's actually for the worse. I hear that there are factions among you. During the Lord's Supper, some are using the opportunity to fill up and even get drunk while other members go hungry. So even in the Lord's Supper, they're finding a way to profane it and to fill up and to gorge themselves and to get drunk off of the wine while other people are going hungry. I think if 1 Corinthians 5 through 11 were portrayed as a Hollywood film today, it would definitely be rated R. There's no getting around that. So what went wrong in Corinth? Again, we're talking about what makes a church healthy. Clearly, there was a state of a lack of health in this church. What makes a a church healthy? Well, I think what went wrong in Corinth, you might say that the root cause of all these problems that Paul has to address is that in every case, the members of the church had lost their head and they had forgotten that they were part of a body. They had lost their head. They had forgotten that the head of the body is actually Christ and not themselves. And they had forgotten that they had been brought together and connected to a body such that everything that they did was going to affect and potentially corrupt the whole. Which brings us to chapter 12. Chapter 12. If you want a biblical view of the church and how it is supposed to work together in health to glorify Christ. Just remember, 1 Corinthians 12. You want to know about church membership? 1 Corinthians 12. You want to know about your role in the church? 1 Corinthians 12. Chapter 12 is kind of the turn where we go from all of this negative that Paul has to address, although he still has to address some negative, where now he's going to give us this beautiful vision of what a healthy church is. And this is where I want us to take our understanding of membership. When I say church membership, to some of you, that probably conjures up images of memberships to other clubs like Sam's Club or Rotary Club or the parent-teacher organization or association or the NRA. Do not take your idea of church membership from your idea of membership to these other types of organizations. Also, don't think of church membership as being something that is just a loose affiliation to an organization. I belong to Center Baptist Church because that's just where I happen to sit in a pew every Sunday morning. That is not church membership. If we are going to continue the practice of church membership at Center Baptist Church, which has been practiced for 124 years, I do not want it to be simply because that's what churches have always done. Churches have membership, so we have membership. People come to the front, they join the church, and we move on about our lives. I want us to value membership as meaningful in the way that Paul values it here in 1 Corinthians 12. And if it's going to be meaningful, then it must be biblical. If it's not in the Bible, I don't want to do it. If it's going to be meaningful, it must be biblical. 
So why are we talking about all this? And Cliff kind of mentioned this, but what we are doing in this sermon series is, is, is teaching as a way to lead up to um, a meeting we're going to have where we're going to be talking about what we are doing in the life of this church and where we are going in the years ahead. When we entered into a partnership with Overland Hills um, a year ago, there was a joint ministry agreement that we both um, affirmed, each congregation affirmed. And in that agreement, we had three church health goals. So goals to move us to a greater state of health in our church. And I'm going to talk about another one of those next week. But the one focusing on right now is this. One of our church health goals was that there would be a recommitment of the existing membership of Center Baptist to the church membership covenant and the established practice of new members joining under the existing covenant. So to some of you who are here, maybe you're not even a member of the church, that may sound really boring to you, but I want you to have an exalted view of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. And here's how Paul describes church membership. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, some of your Bibles, the heading might even say, one body with many members. So why do I keep using the word membership? I'm simply trying to be faithful to the scriptures. One body with many members. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Not necessarily meaning water at this point, but meaning we were immersed into one body. We became a part of one body because of the spirit of Christ. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. One characteristic of the body of Christ, we all share the same spirit of Christ that binds us together. He says in verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of spell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I want you to hear that again. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, 
all rejoice together. This is what I mean by membership. Membership of the body of Christ. The idea of the church as a body means that those who belong to the body, all of us who belong to the body, are like body parts. We are conjoined together. There is no foot off doing its own thing. The foot is connected to the leg, connected to the thigh. You know how the songs go. We are conjoined together. We work together, which means our individual health, our individual health, spiritual health, is going to affect the health of the whole. Our individual strength, spiritual strength, is going to strengthen the whole. I want you to think of the church much more as a living organism, a living organism where God is the one who has breathed life into it and has brought it together by his spirit, a living organism much more than you would think of it as some kind of other earthly organization. Organism versus organization. This is a living, breathing thing that God continues to breathe life into. And the fact that we belong to one another is derived from the fact that all of us belong to Christ, who is our head. He's the head of the body. Because Christ is one, because he is unified, we are to be one. It says here, all were made to drink of one spirit. All of us are to be unified because we are brought together as a body where the lifeblood is the spirit of Christ running through each one of us as we're connected. So our membership is an acknowledgement that one, God's spirit lives in us, lives in us individually, but lives in us collectively as a body. It is an acknowledgement that God has has gifted and empowered each one of us. If you look at verse 7, of chapter 12, which we didn't read. It says to each, that means everybody who's a Christian, everyone who has the spirit living in them, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So membership is an acknowledgement that God has gifted us, that God has empowered each one of us to bring glory to Christ. And finally, that God has arranged each one of us for the purpose of bringing glory to Christ. That's verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. One of the things I love about God's design for the church is that he brings me together with people I would have never sought out on my own to be used for me as a blessing to grow up into Christ and to use me to help them as a blessing to help them grow up into Christ. Whenever I say meaningful membership, what I envision is a body where each part of the body first identifies and says, hey, I'm a body part. I'm connected to the whole. I need you. It's a public profession of just how much we need the rest of the body of Christ and how much the body needs us because we are all connected to Christ. That's why he says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. There's a friend here in the church that I joke with. She often says that, you know, if some people are a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear, she's a nose hair. But let me tell you, I have seen incredible ways that God has used a nose hair to bring glory to his name and to build me up and to encourage me. There is no part of the body 
that is not essential to what God is doing with his church. And so where I want to spend the rest of my time here this morning, taking 1 Corinthians 12 um, as our cue, is talking about four core values, four core values that are essential to being a member of the body of Christ. Now, up to this point, I guess you could say that, well, what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about the universal body of Christ, everyone who's a Christian, and how we're working together to be made more like Christ. And yes, there's definitely some truth in that. But I also want you to see that he's writing this letter specifically to one particular local body in Corinth and telling them how they are to relate to one another. We can talk all day long about the universal church, but the universal church is only ever going to be made known in as much there is a particular local expression happening somewhere on this earth. So these are four core uh, values that I believe the Bible tells us we are to espouse as members of the body of Christ. And they are commitment, if you want to go ahead and write these down. We'll go over them. Commitment, contribution, we commit, we contribute, cultivation, and care. Commit, contribute, cultivate, and care. So the first one, a member of a church is one who commits. I know that's a really scary word today to think of commitment to a group of strangers, especially. Uh, We're willing to commit to a lot of things, by the way, but for some reason, when it comes to the church, um, a lot of times we don't want to commit. That sounds scary to us. What I mean by commit, if you are going to belong to the body of Christ, the first thing you have to do is to say, I am a part of this particular body. To say, I belong to Christ and I want to be a part of this particular outpost of his kingdom. It's to say, I'm a hand and that means you're a foot and I need you. Uh, And and not only I need you, but I can't say that I have no need of you. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So at first thing it means is a commitment to be a part of the body. And a commitment to be a part of the body means you have to be committed to being present with the body. Now, how often were they present with one another in the early church? Well, we know that they would gather together every Lord's Day in celebration of his resurrection, so at least once a week. But we see that they were daily breaking bread in their homes in the book of Acts. And then we have Hebrews 10, 24, which the author of Hebrews says, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but to encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I think we could say it at least means we have to be together at least weekly, if not daily in prayer and by other means and connections. 
And when you think about the body as being body parts, and so the parts have to be working together in order for us to grow up and to fulfill what God is doing in us, it seems to like just go without saying that, yeah, you would have to at some point be present together, right? And yet, people who have committed to being members of the body can sometimes treat gathering so casually. If something like this enters into your decision calculus, and I'm talking to the members of the body, if you are a guest here, if you are a visitor here, I am preaching to our church. Uh, I hope you'll see the blessing and the beauty of the vision of church membership, but I am preaching to the church here. Hear me on this. If you wake up in the morning and your decision calculus goes something like this, do I feel like going to church this morning? then you have not understood 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read this again. If you are a part of this body, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If you are thinking on a Sunday morning solely in terms of, do I feel like coming to the church? Then you have missed the idea that the body is created to help you and God has put you in the body to help one another grow up into Christ. So when you say, I don't feel like coming to church, you're saying to the rest of the members of the body, I don't need you. And that's harsh. I mean, it sounds harsh. But really, it's saying you're missing out on the greatest blessing that God has given you by giving you the members of this body. Commit to being present. That's what it means to be a member of the body. Another thing it means to be a member of the body is to commit to not bring anything into the body. Just think of it like an actual body. We wouldn't bring anything into our bodies that would cause harm to the whole, right? to not bring anything into the body that would cause harm to the body. So you think of everything I mentioned from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 all the way through 1 Corinthians 11. And what was one of the problems? They were bringing things into the body that was corrupting the whole body. And as I said, so much so that to the point where Paul says, you need to get rid of this person from the body because they are a cancer spreading throughout the whole now, what happens? What do I mean by bringing something harmful into the body? I mean, in your personal walk with God, if you decide to wander off into unrepentant sin and just to do your own thing and to get into things that are completely opposed to his will, that is not just affecting you. I know that's the world, how the world likes to see it today. It's harmless. To, I'm only harming myself. I'm not harming anyone else. But if you're a part of the body, that will be harmful to one another. You think about how the body works. Now, I used to run quite a bit, and what I would try to do is I would almost always go out and overtrain to try to catch up and to fill that gap that I had been missing out on because I hadn't been running. And every time I did that, I would mess up my IT band. Has anybody ever had IT band pain? It's some of the worst pain. And so, I mean, you pretty much just limp along for a few weeks until it heals. But when you have IT band pain and you limp along like that because one part of the body is not working properly, do you know what begins to happen next? Your hip begins to hurt really bad. And so your hip 
is no longer working properly. And when your hip is no longer working properly, guess what goes out next? Usually your back and then your neck until the whole body is laid up on the couch and you are completely useless. So it is with the body. Whenever we bring something harmful into our lives, whenever we decide I'm gonna do it my way, the rest of the body suffers. That may be something of what Paul means when he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. I mean, it may also mean that when somebody experiences physical suffering, we enter into that physical suffering. But if someone is openly, willfully, willfully going against the body of Christ, it is going to make the whole body suffer. So a member of a church body commits. Second, a member of a church is one who contributes. And I mentioned this early, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everyone who has professed Christ, who has been made alive, who has been born again of his Spirit, possesses a gift. Troy read about that in the call to worship earlier. What are the purposes of these spiritual gifts? That's what we call them, spiritual gifts. It says in verse 7, for the common good. It's to build up the common good. Everyone has been given a spiritual gift that is meant to be used in community to build up the whole. It's to be used for the common good. So when you say, I'm not really sure I feel like coming to church, you're saying, I have a gift, but I'd rather not use it for the common good today. So the first thing it means to contribute is one, to recognize that you have a gift, that you've been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. Two, that you would use the gift not to build yourself up or to show off or to puff up, but for the common good, that you would use it to serve one another. And that's 1 Peter 4.10 again, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, we're a steward of God's grace when we use our gifts to build up his church. If you speak, then speak as one who's speaking oracles of God. If you serve, then you should serve in the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. He's the one who receives all the glory when we use our gifts. So a member of a church is one who contributes what God has given him. Third, a member of a church is one who cultivates. A member of a church is one who cultivates. What do I mean by that? If you were to look up just the English dictionary definition of cultivate, uh, you might find something like this. Cultivate means to foster the growth of something. So to bring about, to facilitate the growth of something. So you think of a farmer, all the work that a farmer goes, goes through just to cultivate the land in hopes that there will be an abundance of crops. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16 says, in a, in a very parallel passage to 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So we're to grow into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held fast together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up 
in love, when each part of the body is working together properly, when we are cultivating the growth of one another, we are built up into Christ and the body works together to build itself up in love. So a farmer tills the land, a farmer waters the land, he fertilizes, he watches over it, he removes weeds, he kills pests, he goes to all these lengths to cultivate the crop. Likewise, when we think of taking care of the body to cultivate the growth of the body, we need exercise, right? If we want to be healthy, we need exercise. We need to, in our personal relationship with God, we need to be in the word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be eating healthy if we are to cultivate the growth of the body. Do you know what I think of when I think of eating healthy? The body of Christ, the intake of God's word. Man does not live on bread alone. Man lives on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If we want to be healthy with our bodies, what do we do? We go to the doctor, right? A lot of ways you can think of the gathering of the body of Christ as going to the doctor. To get the cure, to get the cure from God's word or from the word of someone else, God through them encouraging you. We need to go to the doctor. And of course, if we want the body to be healthy, if we want to cultivate health, we need rest. Where do we go for rest? I think I quote this almost every Sunday, it seems like. But Jesus says where we go for rest. He says, come to me, everyone who is weary or who is weighed down, I will give you rest. So we come to the body to experience the rest that only Jesus can give us. Those are just some of the ways that we cultivate within the body a culture of discipleship. We proclaim the gospel. We sit under the teaching of God's word. We encourage one another. We build one another up. We bear one another's burdens in order to cultivate a body that is going to look more and more like Christ and show off his glory. And finally, a member of a church cares. A member of a church is committed, contributes, cultivates, and a member of the body of Christ cares. We see in verses 24 and 25, the second half of 24, it says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. On one level, it means just simply caring for one another, being concerned with one another, looking out for one another's physical needs. I call this, 1 Corinthians 12, this part right here, I call it the divine anti-click program or the divine click prevention program. You know what a click is? It's where we together, we gather together with those who are just like us or we think are just like us to the exclusion of everyone else. But the way that God has designed it in his genius in his infinite wisdom, is that all of us from all walks of life at various stages, young and old, would have the same care for one another. And he talks about this all throughout the New Testament, how younger are to care for the widows, how older women are to teach the younger, and all these different scenarios that we would never pick for ourselves if we just sought out an affinity group. 
One of the greatest blessings of being a member at Overland Hills Church for 10 years is that I developed a friendship with an 80-year-old widow that was a genuine and true friendship that still exists to this day. There is no way I would have come up with that on my own, but I can't tell you how big of a blessing that has been to my life that God has used by arranging the members of the body as he chose, not as I chose, that we might have the same care for one another. So a member needs to be looking out for the cares of the whole, not just the cares of those who you like, but to be concerned with the cares of the whole. Think about these prayer requests, the people we pray for. Reach out to them, encourage them, care for them, ask how you can help them. But I think there's another aspect of care that we probably don't talk about as much because as Christians, we tend to be very kind and polite people. And that is care for one another's souls when others are headed for danger. Think about what was going on in the church in Corinth. They had a guy in their midst who was doing something so destructive that Paul said, you need to remove him and hand him over, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that he might survive the judgment when it comes. One of the things it means for us to be caring for one another is to care when someone is not walking with Jesus. If there is someone in the body that is going headlong into sin and they are running for something that is going to bring harm to themselves or harm to the body, or maybe they're not even a Christian, but they've believed it their whole lives, but they're just running for the fires of hell. We, if we are to love them, are going to come alongside them and to let them know the bridge is out ahead. Turn around, repent, come back into the arms of Jesus. And the goal of that care is never to shame. It's never to, to be mean. It's always to restore a wandering part of the body to the health, and the safety of the whole. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says that we are to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and by it many become defiled. See to it, brothers and sisters, we need to see to it that no one here fails to obtain the grace of God. And that by it, by their unrepentant sin, the whole body becomes bitter and defiled. One of my favorite preachers, as some of you probably know, Charles Spurgeon, he said this in the 1800s. He said, I would rather give up my pastorate than admit any man to the church who was not obedient to his Lord's command. And such a course would certainly promote the downfall of any church that practiced it. Now I know there is a fear here that haunts all of us, and it is the fear of being charged with legalism. That we would tell somebody how to live their lives? Isn't that unloving? Shouldn't we just let people do what they want? But I would say, how unloving is it to let someone persist 
in going to the judgment without knowing Christ as Lord. Think about that responsibility as a member of the body of Christ. Commit, contribute, cultivate, care. What is meaningful membership? Meaningful membership is viewing yourself as a necessary part of the gathered body of Christ who is dependent, utterly dependent on the other parts that God has arranged for your growth in Christ. It is the recognition that I am a hand or you are an eye, and I cannot say to you, I have no need of you. It is a recognition that my choices to, obey, to disobey the Lord or to forsake the gathering of his people are not merely harmful to me, but they are harmful to the whole body. And when the local body of Christ is striving to be like this, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing because I have witnessed it firsthand and I can tell you. To know that the person on your left or on your right are so concerned that Christ be formed in you or to know that your children have models and mentors who are going to point them to Christ rather than to draw them away. To know that my fellow members are not actively bringing shame or doing harm to the body of Christ. This is a comfort and a safety and a beautiful, beautiful thing. John Piper puts it like this. Now, if you don't know John Piper, he was a pastor of a church in Minneapolis for many years. He's written a ton of really helpful books. Most importantly, he was Cliff's boss when Cliff was learning how to be a pastor. So Cliff knows him well, maybe. But Piper says, church membership, and he's thinking of 1 Corinthians 12 here, church membership is a blood-bought gift of God's grace. More than most of us realize, it is a life-sustaining, faith-strengthening, joy-preserving means of God's mercy to us. That's membership according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, to bring this to a close, we have a covenant that all members enter into when they become a member of Center Baptist Church. And if you have your bulletin, you can take that out. Um, you can read that covenant. Um, I'm not going to read it right now. We are reading it now in part every time somebody joins the church. This covenant was something that was actually drafted in 1853. So it was adopted by our church probably around the 20s when we started speaking English and not Swedish. I couldn't read the, Swiss, the Swedish covenant, so I'm going with the English one. But every time a member joins, we are entering into a covenant to be all the things that the New Testament calls us to be. This is not something drafted out of thin air. And there's actually a, vision, a version of this covenant which has over 100 scripture references, which shows every single place that these commitments are coming from. But as we move towards this meeting and as we move towards this recommitment to be covenant members of Center the Baptist Church, for those of you who are members or who would like to join, I want to ask a couple things this morning. First, I want to ask that you would take time to read through that covenant in full. Um, if you are a family, that you would read through it together and really talk to one another. Is this something that I'm committed to? I realize there are probably people that joined the church that never even possibly saw this covenant, um, even though it's been around 
for so long. And I, what I would ask is if you get to the end of that covenant and you realize, wow, I'm a member here, but my life is not reflective of this at all. What I would ask you to do is to prayerfully consider recommitting yourself to this covenant, recommitting yourself to a 1 Corinthians 12 view of meaningful church membership. Like I said, what we're asking members who join this church in the future to do is to affirm that covenant commitment publicly by standing up here and giving their assent. If this is something you never uh, consciously entered into as a member of Center Baptist Church, what I want to do is when we have our church meeting on October 25th, is I want to encourage everyone who is already a member. And if anybody desires to be a member, you can you can be there as well. Uh, but everyone who's already a member, I want to give us an opportunity as a body of believers to recommit to this covenant together, to give our public reaffirmation or our affirmation, if it's the first time, even though you've been a member, that I am committed to fulfilling the commitments of this covenant. And the final thing I want to say is that if you are here this morning and this just sounds like a foreign language, like I'm a Martian from outer space and you're like, I've heard a lot about Jesus, but what is this guy talking about? Let me encourage you to go back and read 1 Corinthians 12 because that's a lot. And just to ask yourself, what would it look like for me to live out and be faithful to my Lord's commands and calling in the New Testament, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? And if this is something that you want to be a part of here at Center Baptist Church, please, please come talk to me. And I want to help you become a member of this particular local body of Christ. And I would close by saying this. I believe that God is zealous for the health and for the flourishing of the body of Christ. Are you?